And hello and welcome to Writers on Writing on 88.9 KUCI-FM. We're broadcasting from the University of California, Irvine campus, and we're on the web at KUCI.org and on iTunes at College Radio. Today is Wednesday, November 21st, 2012. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and it's the day before uh, Thanksgiving in the USA, and everybody's geared up for shopping. (laughs) So disturbing. So disturbing. Anyway, no, really. I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving out there. And um, stay out of the stores, okay? You know, relax, eat, be grateful, all that. In any case, the show, Writers on Writing, is dedicated to writers, books, and publishing. And my guest for the entire hour is novelist A.M. Holmes. A.M. Holmes is the author of the novels, This Book Will Save Your Life, Music for Torching, The End of Alice, and A Country of Mothers and Jack, as well as the short story collections, Things You Should Know, and The Safety of Objects. The travel memoir, Los Angeles, People, Places, and the Castle on the Hill, and the artist's book, Appendix A. Her work has been translated into 22 languages. It appears frequently all over the place, Art Forum, Harper's, Granta, The New Yorker, etc., etc. She's created original TV pilots. She writes for Showtime. She does this. She does that. She's won awards. She's on boards such as the Board of Directors of Yotto, the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, etc., etc. Additionally, she serves on the President's Council for Poets and Writers. A.M. Holmes was born in Washington, D.C., now lives in New York City, and teaches in the Creative Writing Program at Princeton. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Wow, your bio is it's like <laughs> running off the page here. It's me anxious. <laughs> So impressive. Um, And your novel is so impressive. Um, May We Be Forgiven is your latest novel published by Viking. And I am so impressed with your work. And the book is, you know, it starts with a bang. Um, It's it's so interesting what you've done here. I'd love to hear you talk about how this story came about. Sure. I mean, it, it started with actually Zadie Smith asking me to contribute a piece to the um, anthology she was putting together for Dave Eggers' 826. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea was to write something about character and be able to get into it very quickly. So I'd been thinking about brothers and the kind of passionate and angry relationship that can exist between brothers, whether looking at, you know, Cain and Abel or uh, Steinbeck's East of Eden or, curiously, uh, John Cheever and um, both his novels like Falconer, which is actually about a brother who kills his brother, um, but also uh, Cheever's own relationship with his brother Fred. Um, so that was sort of the impetus. But I, when I started it, I honestly had no idea that I was going to write a novel. So the difficulty is when you have the compression of a short story, all of a sudden, how do you sustain that for 203,000 words? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I counted. <laughs> And in a male point of view. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, the thing about that that I always enjoy and like is I really am a fiction writer. And I think in many cases, people have forgotten what that means, which means I work from my imagination. And in a way, it's incredibly liberating to be someone very different from myself. Um, that's like, it's like the time travel part of it, which I just love. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's interesting that your main character, Harry, I'm just, you know, now getting into character a little bit. Your main character, Harry, becomes more of a father and perhaps a family man than his brother, mm-hmm. who has uh, gone away in a very bizarre, uh, um, well, not a stroke of misfortune, I guess. Right. Um, right. And the family becomes more of a family. And maybe talk about that and just sort of uh, a little bit about the evolution of the story and if i mean as i was reading i was thinking that you the the writer must have been surprised along the way as i was yeah i mean absolutely and honestly for me that the sense of surprise or of a character unfolding is kind of the best part of writing and and there's some more sort of complicated things i can tell you about in a minute but in the beginning what was interesting for me about harry was he was difficult to write and i remember thinking like what's wrong with this guy? Why is he so impossible to get to know? And I realized Harry doesn't know himself. And the kind of the beauty of the book is that as Harry gets to know himself, he literally unfolds as a character, um, which the same is sort of true of the two children in the story, Nate and Ashley, when their parents are sort of removed from the picture in a very tragic sort of way. They're actually free to become the people that they've not yet been allowed to be. Um, because they've been living under a kind of a fear that the father might explode or of expectations of who they should be. Um, And Harry, their uncle, I think has lived all along waiting for his life to happen. So in some ways I always describe this book as sort of a midlife coming-of-age story. Um, But it was a great deal of fun to write. Hmm. Um, You know, I was also curious because I, I really did not read anything about the book as I was reading it or you know I, I didn't want to read reviews I didn't want to get into anything and afterward I, I started you know sort of backtracking reading some of the reviews and, and the controversy and um, and you're known apparently for your controversial novels and um, of course after reading this one I want to read them all and I but I'm curious in writing controversial topics well first of all does that surprise you or did that surprise you when review reviewers were beginning to say that about your work and and also i guess the second part of the question is do you find yourself attracted to controversial topics or do your stories simply evolve that way right it's a good question i think um you know the first book that i wrote was when i was 19 years old and i was in uh, university at american university in washington and it was a course in uh, children's literature. And the idea was that often we were reading books where sort of a modern idea came in, i.e. a teenager gets pregnant or a, a boy has feelings for another boy, but it was subjected to what they would call sort of an old-fashioned kind of morality. So the teenage girl has to get married, can't go to college, and the baby dies. Because that's what happens. <laughs> you have to be punished. And the boy who had feelings for another boy's dog was run over. Um, and I found that paradigm sort of disturbing. So the first book I wrote when I was 19 was a novel also actually from a male point of view of a, of a boy who was 13 um, whose father is gay and his parents are divorced. And he doesn't know that the father's gay, but the, the father essentially comes out to him. And it's very upsetting for the boy, and he's really forced to confront his own uh, prejudices and his own, you know, very complicated feelings about what that means. And as I was writing that book, and the, and the idea in the class was, of course, not to write a book. It was to write a paper. And I said to the professor, do you think I could write a novel instead? And she said, well, what, what makes you think you can? And the secret answer was, I knew I couldn't write a paper. <laughs> so I thought, give it a go. Um, 
But she said to me at the time, you know, well, this book will be very controversial. And I, I mean, I'm a kid at that point. And I'm thinking, really? Because this is a conversation that, you know, back in 20, I mean, it's 20-some years ago already. So that was a conversation we couldn't have publicly mm-hmm. about what it meant for someone's parent to be gay or what it meant for a teenager to be gay or anything. Um, and that book is actually one of the 100 most book banned books in this country. <laughs> and at the same time, it's on almost every school reading list. Mm-hmm. So I think that that sort of, in a way, begins my um, problem with controversy, which is that I'm truly not interested in controversy, but I think that one can't shy away from writing about subjects that have an effect on people. And I think that what happens is when people say, like, a book is shocking, that actually means it touches a nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal is not to, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm going to really just upset people right and left. Um, it's actually not my nature at all. But I think more sort of to the core of what I'm always trying to do goes back to actually what Grace Paley, who was my mentor, taught me, which is writing the truth according to the character. So I'm thinking about what is the accurate story for this character. And it's in some ways how, and may we be forgiven, there's all these surprises, because Harry's story unfolds, and that's part of the fun of it. But it's also how, you know, a a 13-year-old boy comes to recognize the the separation between himself and his father, and that his life is his own responsibility. He has to make it what what it will be. Um, And whether or not his father is gay really doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that he's gay, and it doesn't mean that his family isn't a family. But it's a complicated thing. Mm-hmm. You are listening to Writers on Writing. I'm with A.M. Holmes. Her current novel, new novel, is May We Be Forgiven, published by Viking. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking about villains, because, mm-hmm. you know, every novel has one, at least, and the best novels have complicated villains, and um, and and you have some, you know, again, controversial characters in your books you i guess have a pedophile in one which you know i really want to read that one because i want to see how you have dealt with it and how you deal with characters who um are not sympathetic characters right well you know the thing i think also is interesting when you look back sort of through history the great books not that mine are by the way i'm not saying that (laughs) but just the great books that we remember crime and punishment you don't think oh what a great guy i want to have him for thanksgiving Mm -hmm. or you know the the books that move us and that stay with us tend to be complex characters and and kind of big ideas in some ways and and when you look at like the novel that i wrote called the end of alice which is about a jailed pedophile murderer that's a book that came out quite a while ago i think it came out in 1995 and we had trouble even selling that book. Um, it is told from the point of view of this jailed pedophile murderer. Um, and a lot of people liked it and thought it was brilliant, but the publishing companies were afraid to buy it, of, of what, where it would land and what it would mean to people. The interesting thing, and it was banned in England and all kinds of things happened, is that the jailed pedophile murderer actually asks the reader, if I am in jail, why do these things continue to happen? And the idea of that is, I think as a society, we need to take more responsibility for the raising of children, for protecting them from child abuse. And it fascinates me that, you know, this book is as relevant today as it was when it came out, if not more so. I mean, we just had the whole Jerry Sandusky case. Mm -hmm. I was just in England where there's the Jimmy Savile BBC scandal. You know, my feeling is that until as a society we can have these conversations, then it doesn't change and they, and take our own sort of, you know, role in it. And I think what you see in those cases is there are people who are tacitly complicit. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're not saying anything, um, which I think makes it all that much more difficult. But all that to say, um, End of Alice is an incredibly, incredibly difficult book. It's not a likable book, nor should it be. I mean, it's a book that is, is there to provoke a conversation about a very, very disturbing subject. Um, and I think for me, that one was both artistically the most difficult to write and also the diff- most difficult to kind of live with as I was doing it. It's, it you know, when I finished it, I was a mess because um, it was hard, you know, it was incredibly hard and horrible. Well, and and then getting into that sort of character and having and not creating a, you know, a flat character or a caricature. Yeah. How do you how do you make sure you don't do that? That's a good question. I spent with, with that book and with, with everything I write, I do enormous amounts of research because I think sometimes, especially because I'm writing people who are very different from myself, I have to not only understand the character, but the place, the people. Like if I'm writing in California, I literally am like studying California plant life. For mm-hmm. End of Alice, I read enormous amounts about everything from literally the architecture of prisons and the history of the evolution from the, you know, the Quaker penitentiary on up, and then also about, you know, what makes a pedophile? What is that mind? And interestingly, that book is used often now to train psychiatrists and therapists to, who work with pedophiles because it's an incredibly difficult thing to treat or, or you know, they're not, it's not like there are great um, examples of it. But importantly also, at a certain point I decided, oh, God, I have to stop studying because I actually am writing a person and I have to make this person. Um, and that's, again, both even with the, the darkest of characters, um, it's an incredibly amazing process because you're creating someone where there was no one, and you need them to be believable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'd love to hear you read from May We Be Forgiven. Sure. Okay. Um, I will read a little bit from the beginning of the book, um, which is, I like to think of it as a wonderful Thanksgiving tale. <laughs> May We Be Forgiven, an incantation, a prayer. The hope that somehow I come out of this alive. Was there ever a time you thought, I'm doing this on purpose, I'm screwing up, and I don't know why? Do you want my recipe for disaster? The warning sign. Last year, Thanksgiving at their house. Twenty or thirty people at tables spreading from the dining room to the living room, stopping abruptly at the piano bench. He was at the head, picking turkey out of his teeth, talking about himself. I kept watching him as I went back and forth carrying plates into the kitchen, the edges of my fingers dipping into unnameable goo, cranberry sauce, sweet potato, cold pearl onion, gristle. With every trip back and forth from the dining room to the kitchen, I hated him more. Every sin of our childhood, beginning with his birth, came back. He entered the world 11 months after me and was given far too much attention. And then, despite what I repeatedly tried to tell him about how horrible he was, He acted as though he believed he was a gift of the gods. They named him George. Geo, he liked to be called. Like that was something cool, something scientific, analytical. Geode, I called him, like a sedimentary rock. That's great. Thank you. That was A.M. Holmes reading from May We Be Forgiven, published by Viking. Um, When, you know, along the lines of writing books that, that are controversial um readers so often think fiction is based on what actually happened to a writer's life and because you write about um these situations or perhaps bizarre characters do you ever 
or have you ever worried about what your family or friends may think or whether <laughs> they think it's about them or you right. you you know you're you're revealing something about them yeah i mean the good news is my family and friends know me very very well and i will do things like purposely in in funny ways that i've did more and may we be forgiven than i've ever done before like the financial advisor is named hiram p moody well that's rick moody's real name who I've known forever. <laughs> and one of the law firms is something like Henderson, Herzog, and whatever, and it's all Sal Bellow books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I literally will sometimes overtly put a friend in, or I'll tease them. If you're going to keep you know, giving me a hard time, I'm going to have to put you in the novel. <laughs> you know? um, but beyond, you know, in, sort of in jest or in very kind of, um, I would like to say, neutral ways, I really don't... Um, put too much about people. And there's one there's one set of books that in my mind is sort of takes place in the house of somebody I know, um, but it's not the same people and it's a very different thing. But mostly, yeah, I think everyone knows they're pretty safe. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know that, uh, I mean, I all have students that are a little worried about getting sued and Right. And uh, often it seems that what authors say more is that people are, their friends or family are offended that they're not in their books right. Right. or don't have characters based on them. So Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of people I know who definitely are writing things that come out of their real life. I, I think for me, when I wrote the memoir, The Mistress's Daughter, mm-hmm. that was in a way a different thing, and it was incredibly hard to do, and it was just after the James Fry sort of scandal mm-hmm. about, you know, what is fiction and what is memoir. And I felt in that case that I had to be very careful, and, and especially because I was writing about people that I knew and people that, that weirdly I'm related to but don't know well. Um, and I felt that I had to be both articulate, but also when I was imagining something, I literally would say, I imagine that, mm-hmm. to make sure that that difference was there. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, you know, in writing that book, would you have anybody vetted, or did you run by sections by anyone to make sure you got it right? In terms of um, the story? Yeah, or in terms of, you know... Legality? <laughs> <laughs> Legalities, really, yeah. Well, I'll tell you two things. There's one, there, there are, there, I made two changes. One um, was a detail that was a very, very good detail, but it was legally somewhat exposing, and I didn't want to take the risk. So I thought, it's a great detail. I can always tell it to people, <laughs> but I can't put it in. And then the other was, it was funny, there was some comment I made about my uh, adoptive parents, and they're very, very left-wing. Um, and I forgot what it was, but it was something sort of pushing them even slightly, not further to the left they are, than they are, but I think further to the left than they felt comfortable being. And my mother asked if I would dial that back a little bit, and I did. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Well, well, what's the carryover? I mean, you do a lot of different things. You you write fiction. You write journalism. You write for TV. You do all sorts of different things. And are they? Do you sort of keep them all in different compartments in your head, or do you carry from one to the other um, techniques, or um, you know, a way of working? Sure. I mean, I think all of that is true. I mean, on the one hand, I feel a little bit like if, if, if things are sort of going full tilt, I'm like an air traffic controller. <laughs> and it's literally like, I'm sorry, I can't land that article now. Or that, that memoir is going to have to wait because it, there's a lot going on. Um, the good news is I can't get writer's block. So if I, the closest thing to writer's block I get is like change of format. Um, you know, and I literally will just go and do something else that I have to do. And I think that's been very helpful to me. Hmm. Um, 
Go ahead. You know, over over the years, um, because it, it pushes me to keep moving. And I think as much as I care passionately about my writing and line by line, it's important to me. It is my job, and I and I don't make it precious. You know, I, I don't allow myself to have um, extensive rituals or things that I need to do to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that it just it, that becomes a, a, a not a trap, but it just makes it in some ways that much harder because it's hard to sustain that over you know twenty, thirty, forty years. So I'm guessing that you whatever you're working on, you sit at the same desk, the same place. I do place? sit at the same desk, and I sometimes need. You know, when I go to, like, artist colonies like Yaddo, I need more desks. Mm-hmm. And I always have them for extra <laughs> tables. And the fact is, in the room where I work, there's stuff, all paper all over the floor. And I literally just this week got rid of the five banker's boxes that were, may we be forgiven, to make room for the two things that I'm working on right now. And then there's a sort of a third mystery pile right now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, I want to talk more about that <laughs> when we come back. We're going to take a very short break. We will be right back with more am home so so go nowhere stay right there the views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of kci its management or the uc board of regents for more information on this or other kci programs visit kci.org or kcitalk.org Welcome back to Writers on Writing on 88.9 KUCI-FM. We're broadcasting from the University of California, Irvine campus, and we're on the web at KUCI.org and iTunes. Uh, College Radio is where you can find us there. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and uh, this show, along with all the other shows, um, will be podcasts. What you can do is you can go to my website, penonfire.com, and on the homepage, you'll see shows that, that become podcasts. All of the podcasts, though, are located at writersonwriting.blogspot.com. You can access them any time of day. Just put a name of an author in the search box, and if that author's been on the show in the last 14 years, it will come up. And uh, it's there at no charge for you. I've been with A.M. Holmes. Her current book, her new book, is May We Be Forgiven, published by Viking. Hi there. Hi. Um, Along the lines of what you were just talking about, um, you know, the room with the paper everywhere and projects. And um, are you always working on something? In other words, like you turned in May We Be Forgiven, and did you have another idea you wanted to pursue and you started right in, or do you have to wait till, you know, the edits come in and you get done with the edits and the book is on the way to be printed and there's nothing left to do with it until it comes out? You know, it's, it's one of those things that I think varies book by book. Um, I was six months late turning May We Be Forgiven in, which meant that the, sort of the lag time that there usually is between when you get it back from the editor and the copy editing, all that, all of a sudden was very compressed. Um, so things at that point, I would say, moved pretty quickly. Usually there's there's time, and usually I like to try to at least have something going a little bit, just because there's both an external awkwardness of, of somehow going out and, and, you know, being on the road traveling for a book and feeling a bit lost, um, and also just sort of the... Um, the internal state of wanting to be into the next thing. But in this case, uh, it took seven years to write, and honestly, I'm exhausted. <laughs> so and, and so I, you were working I, on other stuff, off and on. Yeah, I mean, be, yeah. But, you know, bits and pieces, but it really, it was the big, the big, big 
thing. And I don't think I even realized, honestly, how big the book was until I finished. There was a very funny moment where I gave it to my editor, and he's like, where are the chapters? The chapters? I didn't think about chapters. Um, and I went back through and put these, you know, space breaks <laughs> in, so if someone had to go to the bathroom, they could. Right. Um, but it was really a roller coaster of a book. And then I know, you know, when I finished it, there was some journalism I had to do, and actually I had agreed to write a book um, for the Swiss philosopher Alain de Baton for a small series he's doing where six writers are going into different large-scale institutions. So Alexander Hemmen went to the United Nations, somebody went to the International Monetary Fund, Jeff Dyer went on to an aircraft carrier, and I've been sitting in on brain surgery in a hospital. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, the wonderful thing about that has been, and I haven't started writing it yet, which I have to do in the next couple of weeks, but it's an incredible sort of antidote to having to really think up everything and, and just spending time with these incredible doctors and patients and asking them, you know, how do you feel about your brain tumor? Um, and what are you most fr- afraid of? And do you, do you, does the spiritual, you know, sort of world of religion or anything, you know, offer you any comfort? Uh, do you think there's a health care crisis? So it's been truly, truly fascinating. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in the second pile. Hmm. That's in the second pile. <laughs> yeah. The huh. first pile is a book of short stories that's due later this in next year coming up. So with May We Be Forgiven earlier, you mentioned, you know, 200,000 words. Mm-hmm. Did you know it was going to be a big book from the start then? No, but I felt like, you know, it's, it's one of the complications is when you start off a novel thinking it's a short story and it has that sense of compression there's also a moment where there's a sort of a very um explosive confrontation between harry and george the two brothers and harry uh george's wife jane Mm -hmm. and i think when when something like that happens only 30 pages in you have to then sort of raise the stakes so i i felt that it had to be a kind of all-in book and then i really decided um to, to write the book that I really wanted to write, which sometimes I, I am a little bit more careful. And in this case, I decided to have it sort of wander off in ways, which is there's this whole sort of section where the brother George is sent first to a, you know, a sort of a, a fancy mental hospital, and then that closes and becomes a conference facility. Mm-hmm. He's sent off to some program called The Woodsman, which is like outward <laughs> bound for really bad guys where you have to live in the woods and eat, like, government cheese from lockers. Um, so there's a bunch of, like, significant digressions, I guess I would call them, um, along with Harry, the main character's, um, you know, flailing career as a Nixon scholar, which was, you know, a big piece of it for me. So I, I wanted to, I think, ultimately write, I guess, a big book about America, which mm-hmm. is really what it is, and about family. Um, and I just decided to go all in, uh, you know, given the oddity of how publishing is right now and everything else. I felt like, why not just put it all in there, including there's a lot of, of, of interesting, well, I think interesting, things about Judaism and, and just things I'd never written about before mm-hmm. wanted to sort of explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and all the black humor. I mean, it, it's just, it's, you know, it's full of my kind of humor. And uh, I love the, uh, I think it's a, it's a minister or rabbi who also is a priest or has a collar and a yarmulke. <laughs> well, in the hospital, there's often those things. Right, yeah, right, right. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I also there's a rabbinical student named Ryan, which I think is very funny. And then there's the there's a woman who works in the synagogue who is 
an adopted Chinese adult because supposedly the family who went to adopt a baby didn't like the baby, so they just took an adult. <laughs> um, which, again, is very, I mean, it's very dark humor, but I honestly feel that by making people laugh, you can also be that much more serious. Well, yeah, because you're reading this, this horrendous stuff going on, um, at least during those scenes, and you're going, oh, my gosh, and then there's that humor that just kind of lightens it up, yeah. and you go, okay, okay, I can go back and forth between, between that and this. Yeah, and it's also, I think, honestly, a comment on, you know, where life is right now. I think our lives are very jam-packed. I think there's so much that is kind of crazy about modern life, um, and that we are not sort of as humans fully up to sort of you know we're, we don't run it i don't know what bandwidth exactly mm-hmm. so i think that at least everybody i know we're kind of simultaneously amazed and horrified on a daily basis by everything <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i wanted to try to capture that you know in words and in images hmm, that's interesting um early on there's a love scene that works so well and Love scenes seem to scare um, writers who are writing, say, literary fiction as opposed to romance mm-hmm. or, you know, genre fiction. Um, talk about writing love scenes. Well, you know, I, I never thought about it, but I think <laughs> that the, the, the real thing for me, again, it goes, goes back to the idea of writing what's true for the character. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, I would never think, oh, I'm writing a love scene. I think I'm more exploring, you know, the character's sort of internal life and their psychological life and their emotional kind of temperature um, and the kind of tonality of that. Um, I'm, I'm even wondering, I think, what scene is she thinking of? Um, I can tell you, I think it's actually, uh, you know, when um, Harry and Jane right. get together. Right. And it's, it's not very far into the book. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting about that, too, is that it is, it has sort of qualities of, of, a, of a classic love scene, and yet it's completely illicit because Jane is, of course, George's wife and mm-hmm. not Harry's. Mm-hmm. Um, and it speaks to, for both of them, I think, of, of a kind of need that they both have and, you know, that's just not happening in their lives. Um, so there's a kind of painfulness to it, which maybe is at the core of, of a lot of love, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, it's it's a great scene, actually, to study for, for writers who don't know quite what to do. Yeah, because as you said, it's more a psychological or more of a, re- a revealing of character than it is body parts. Right. But I think that that's the thing is always to kind of stay in the world of, you know, what does this mean to my character and what risk are they taking and what mm-hmm. is the fallout of this or, or why are they doing what they're doing? Um, because I think that's, that's always the thing that sort of compels the story forward. Mm-hmm. I am so curious about your name because uh, I know I know you're Amy and yeah. became AM and and I have for a long time talked about how um, you know sort of there's there's a bunch of writers who a bunch of women writers actually who are have initials as 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 first names because now they get you know especially if they're writing for young adults um, boys will read them right whereas right. boys are not going to read probably not going to read women. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think for me it started with, uh, I used to just put my initials on my homework. And then, uh, you know, a little bit later my homework started getting published. I mean, that's because <laughs> I started publishing, you know, very early. I had a play produced when I was 19 and I started writing Jack that same year. Um, so that was a piece of it. But what kind of, there were two things that sort of settled it for me. One was when I first moved to New York and I was still very young, 
I was subletting the writer David Levitt's apartment while he went to the artist colony McDowell. And the phone rang, and I answered in this very brusque voice. You know, is David Levitt there? And I said, no, I'm sorry, he's not. And he goes, who's this? And I said, Amy. <laughs> you know, he said, Amy Hempel? And I said, no. You know, Amy Holmes. He goes, this is Anatole Boyard from the New York Times. And I was so just rattled, I thought, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> So it had less to do with gender than there were not that many Amy's out there. And an Amy Hempel and an Amy Holmes were very, you know, close in in terms of being short story writers and Amy H's. And I just, I couldn't bear it. Um, I was so just mortified by the phone call. So that was the the first defining moment, um, (laughs) having just nothing to do with gender. And, you know, my picture's on every book. People always say you're trying to hide. But And the second sort of two moments that kind of solidified it were... But I think there, at that time, because I wasn't that well-known, there was a space between Amy Holmes and A.M. Holmes. Mm-hmm. And I liked being able to navigate that space. I liked that I would go places and people wouldn't know who I was. And I mm-hmm. remember even going to, you know, the BEA, the Book Expo, and wearing a tag that said A.M. Holmes. And people would say, you're not A.M. Holmes. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, but I liked it. But very definitively, you're just absolutely you're not. You know? <laughs> um, and that was... You know, nice. And then there was a moment after the end of Alice in England. And the end of Alice was a very controversial book in England, um, where the next reviews for the next book said what Amy did next. And I sort of resented that. I felt like it was belittling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just decided I'm just always going to be A.M. And there is, there is, there is no Amy. Mm. Um, and the truth is, I'm not a very good Amy. I'm a little. <laughs> I, not that I'm so tough. I'm really not tough. I'm a Girl Scout leader, actually. But. <laughs> I um I I think intellectually I'm I'm not an Amy. Do you know what I mean? And I and I don't write like an Amy and mm-hmm. it just it's, it's a little diminutive. Mhm. Um so I'm more an almost maybe which is the AM. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. I know. I, I people say what's your name Barbara and mm-hmm. I'm not a Barbara. Mm-hmm. But but my name's Barbara. Well, it was right. supposed to be Sandra, but my dad changed the birth certificate. So what does that make me? I don't know. <laughs> Barandra. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's interesting, too, because it's, it's what your name is, you know, it does seem to have, it's funny to say, there's the meaning it has for you, but there's also the meaning it has out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a problem, and it's interesting, you know, I really, I think for years, have tried to avoid those conversations about what does it mean to be a woman writer, and what does it mean that men or boys don't read books by women writers and actually Grace Paley used to say it so wonderfully she said women have always done men the favor of reading their book and men have not returned that favor Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now you know with May We Be Forgiven I've written kind of literally this kind of big book about America and interestingly I just came back from a European book tour and in Europe you know Hilary Mantel and all these different people write huge books and that's okay but in the U.S., I forgot that you're not supposed to, as a woman or a girl, mm-hmm. write a big book. Mm-hmm. It's just c- totally against the rules. And I, I, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> um, because some of the women critics have been like, oh, you know, this book is too big and too much happens and this and that. And I keep thinking if it was written by a Jonathan, mm-hmm. you'd be loving it. <laughs> um, you know, and then I keep thinking I should just write a short story called Written by a Jonathan. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> Or Michael. Or <laughs> Michael. Jonathan, yeah. Michael. Right. Or just Michael, Jonathan, you know, and then vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I love that you studied with Grace Paley, and you must have taken so much away from working with her. I mean, she was a great teacher, and the, 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 the two best things I can say is that as a teacher, 
she did that wonderful thing of not just teaching the subject, but teaching about life and how to sort of be a person, which is the harder thing. Um, and then in terms of the writing, she was very sort of generous, and she would, I think, really pushed me to learn how to rewrite and learn how to figure out what was wrong with the story or what what had to happen next. Um, and that's that's something that not every teacher can do. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, and and being able to, uh, I don't know, she just seemed to span so many, I don't know, um, what am I trying to say, not genres, but just, you know, she was universal in a way. Right, Yeah. but that's also, that, that goes back to the idea of character. It's universal because there, it isn't a genre. There mm-hmm. is no genre. It's only about who's in the story and why are they there. Mm-hmm. What about graduate programs? Because you teach in one, and that seems to be such a, oh, another controversy amongst writers. Do I need a graduate program to, to get published these days, to get an agent, to do this, to do that? And sure. Very controversial. Yeah. Princeton actually is only an undergraduate program, oh, which okay. is a very conscious decision on that university's part. But mm-hmm. I have taught at Columbia and NYU and all that. You know, I think... And I remember this being true of when I actually went. I went to Iowa and I went to NYU. I went everywhere. I went to Columbia. (laughs) Name a school I've been there. Um, I think the thing is that being in a graduate writing program puts you in a community of writers. And on the one hand, that is the biggest benefit. Nobody can teach you how to write. Nobody can give you talent if you're not talented. Um, You know, if you're lucky, you have a few teachers who are generous with their time and energy and can work with you to kind of hone your craft. Um, And the biggest piece of it is the interaction with the other students. Um, I don't think you need to go to a graduate program to be a writer. I don't think you need to go to a graduate program to publish. Uh, And I think that's becoming all the more true, especially in the way that, you know, there are a lot of small magazines. There are an enormous number of places to publish on the Internet, which used to somehow be less legitimate but is increasingly as legitimate as print publication. Um, so I think the first thing is it's really just about the writing, and you've got to just write and write and write. Um, but there, I think, is some benefit to being among other, you know, writers that are around your same age and at the, working at the same kind of level with the same hopes for themselves. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Having that writer's community yeah. is, uh, is pretty vital, I think. Well, I think the most important thing when you're, you know, you're writing is you want to have people who can read your work and talk to you about it. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it used to be that people in some ways relied on sending it to an editor or getting a letter back from an editor. That doesn't happen anymore. There's, there's no comment coming back from, you know, a, a, a swamped editor of the New Yorker saying, this is lovely, just rewrite it 17 more <laughs> times. You know, you've got to have it as good as you can get it before you submit it to a magazine or before you submit it to an agent. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what that community can help with. How soon after you've written something do you show it to somebody? You know, it really varies. Um, there are times I'm writing something, like actually The End of Alice was so distressing to write and felt like such a risk that I wrote a lot of it at Yaddo, and I had a friend who worked in a publishing house, and I would call her from the payphone at Yaddo and read it to her. And, you know, all she would say was, that's very strong, very, very (laughs) strong, just keep going. And I remember she could have completely derailed me, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm writing this, I mean, very dark, dark book about a pedophile. And, you know, it would have been easy to just say, this has to stop, you know. (laughs) This is too much. Um, So that was very helpful. And then other times, 
I'll write something, and, and it'll be, you know, almost years before I'll show it to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I showed people the first section of the memoir probably almost 10 years before it was published, and they actually really didn't like it. And I showed them the same section, you know, eight or nine years later, and they said, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think it's that people aren't ready for it. Sometimes it's a very complex, you know, sort of world where you're also, you're not, you're not working in a vacuum entirely. You're working in the echo of what else is coming out or happening in that time. Yeah, yeah. You are listening to Writers on Writing. We have a few minutes left with A.M. Holmes. Uh, her new book is May We Be Forgiven, published by Viking. You also do TV work, and I'm curious if your books um, gained you entree to that world or if it happened some other way. It happened a couple different ways. One was that I always was interested in, in writing for TV, and I knew some people who were working on the show The L Word. Um, and in TV, it's a catch-22. You're not allowed to write for TV if you haven't written for TV, which I'm sure Joseph <laughs> Heller would appreciate. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's hard to get a foot in the door. And I literally wrote to them and said, could I come and work on your show? And, you know, at that point, I mean, I am a fairly well-known writer, and it was a small show at Showtime. So I think they were like, sure, you know, like one day. <laughs> um, and for me, that was enormous fun because the, the funny thing my friends in New York said was like well what makes you think you can write for TV and my answer was what makes you think I can have a job okay. <laughs> um, you know I've been writing by myself for years I have not I worked at Random House in 1985 for one year that's the only job job I've ever had and I was more concerned about just staying upright all day <laughs> than what, what, what else would happen and I actually I loved it I was out there in Los Angeles, and I was actually working on um, this book will save your life. So I would get up at about four or five in the morning and do my writing, and then go to work. And the thing about being in a writer's room that's so incredible was you're just generating enormous amounts of material. And unlike a novel, you don't have to sort of literally link each word and each idea, you know, perfectly to the next um, because you're making these kind of frameworks of you know multiple uh, episodes and all that kind of thing. So it was very fun. I found it very sort of invigorating and I liked it. And mm-hmm. then I did that for a couple of years and then a few years later somebody from, from CBS came to me and said, we'd like to option one of your books. And I said, well, that's already optioned. And then he said, would, would you be interested in writing you know, an original pilot? And I thought, yes. You know, of course <laughs> I would. Um, and so for you know, the last three years I've done pilots for CBS. None has made it onto the air. Um, and I found it a very interesting process. Uh, it's completely different from writing a novel. And always when I'm done and I go back to you know, writing fiction, I'm enormously relieved. But I also think right now TV is a very fast medium. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the rules both on network and cable are sort of shifting. It used to be very kind of super formulaic. It still is in some ways, but it's also, you know, it's a way of building character and talking about what's happening in the world, which are my two sort of, you know, favorite things. So I, I hope to kind of keep doing it, but it would be nice, ultimately, obviously, to get something on the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the thing that's hard about TV, I think, is if if it doesn't happen, they own it. And unlike a piece of fiction where I could say, well, if you don't want it at the New Yorker, mm. I'm going to take it to you know Harper's or whatever. Sure. Um, and I think if that was all I did, I would actually feel very sad. <laughs> <laughs> What about self-publishing? Any any uh, thoughts? Since it's so so just rampant. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, 
on the one hand, I'm always happy, honestly, that people are just writing. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact is that there is an incredibly wide range of writers, and not everybody is going to be published by, you know, a large commercial publisher. Um, and if somebody wants to do that, I think it's great, and they should, and they should share that work with their friends and their community. Um, I think it is different, and 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 it's not the same. But on the other hand, I don't think there's a right or a wrong. And the fact is, we've seen recently, you know, a bunch of self-published mm-hmm. books make their way into the commercial marketplace, right? Um, and do very well. I mean, I think, I think all of that is just it, we're at a time of enormous shifting, and I think it's important, honestly, not to have judgments about it mm-hmm. because I just think judging it as right or wrong or good or bad is is, is in no way productive for anybody. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I just hear of of people unaware of sort of once it's out there how the marketing goes. You know mm-hmm. that seems to it seems to hang a lot of people up. Well, uh, books in general, you mean how the marketing goes, in, or marketing self-published books? Yeah. Because it's pretty much you unless you're paying somebody. Right. Um, and I think it's that way, honestly, for all books right now. I mean, I think I think you know, given the the contraction in the number of newspapers and in the local kind of coverage for things both radio and all else it's harder to get something out there and also exponentially there's more stuff out there mm-hmm. so you know I, I mean when you when you go on book tour now you really see that it, it is a very different landscape than it ever was mm. um, yeah now I guess I, uh, apparently Goodreads is, is sort of the, the the place to start start a book tour right yeah right really interesting yeah we are at the end of our time. Is there uh, anything you'd like to leave us with? Uh, the writers, you know, making their way through a book. Um. I think the thing is to just, you know, the main thing is to focus on your writing and really get it to be the best that you can. And, you know, I think conferences are really great things. I think taking classes is, are, are wonderful. Um, but you have to do the work. And that's the only way that you really get there, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah, you got to practice. You have to practice every day. <laughs> got to practice your scales. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is practice. And I think the other thing is really you have to push yourself and you have to take risks. You have to be willing to fail. And that's, that, for some people, is the hardest thing. If it's easy to do, then you're not doing it. You're not working hard enough. Mm. Well, I so appreciate you coming on. And now I have to... Uh Read some of your other stuff. Well, thanks for having I'm me. I'm so intrigued. You're so welcome. And people can always look on my website, amhomesbooks.com, because a lot of the other things I write are on there as well. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. That was A.M. Holmes. Her book is May We Be Forgiven, published by Viking. Um, it's the first book of hers I've read, and uh, I do want to read her other stuff, um, especially some of the more edgy stuff. Well, I guess it's all edgy, and I like that. I want, I want to check it out, and I hope you do too. Um, We're at the end of our time. You've been listening to Writers on Writing on 88.9 KUCI-FM in Irvine. If you want to know more about the show, you can visit penonfire.com. And that's where I am now putting podcasts on the homepage. It's a new website. I hope you check it out and let me know what you think. Be here next week. Actually, I think Marie will be here next week with a couple of uh, authors. I'll be back the following week. So thank you for being with me and uh, get your writing done and have a great holiday.